Into eternity's eyes reaching down to you Tell me would you turn away What if I knew you by your name What kind of words would cut Through the clutter of the world winds of these days We are in a series called Head to Heart, and uh, the 9 o'clock service is such a weird service. I'm just going to tell you that. There are some days when I come here, and the energy in this room makes me wonder what has happened to the 1030 service. Those people get an extra hour of sleep, and sometimes you're like way over, and then other days, it feels like you barely drug yourself in here and got in the seats, and I just want to say... I don't care which way that is, I'm glad you're here. If you're at home and you drug yourself in front of the screen, I'm glad you're here because we're talking about some pretty important stuff. The song that you just heard is is an example of why we're doing this series. His soul was giving him a warning, 
he decided to ignore it. They used a picture, I don't know if you picked up on this, but a skydiving picture where there were thunderclouds forming. There was a storm in the sky. It's not something that you jump in. And he went against what his, everything was telling him, and he did it anyway, and he ends up with a mess. Ends up with a mess in his life. And we're trying to figure out what happens. Why is there a disconnect sometimes between the stuff that we know and how we actually act or believe? And so we've, we've been wrestling with that. And um, this last week, we talked about your conscience. Your conscience could be one of those things that warns your soul, don't do this. But you can scar it. You can ignore it. You can silence that. Kill it in your life so that it doesn't communicate with you anymore. Today, we're going to look at something else that has the same ability to dampen this connection between your head and heart. In fact, it can mess it up. They're, they're similar, they're related, but they're not the same. They're found in the scriptures together all the time, but they really have different components to them. And I'm hoping if we can get to the end of the day and understand this, we'll be able to step into our lives and make some wise choices about what's going on and, and how we even connect our head to our hearts. So that's, that's where we're headed. I want to start with a quote from um, a poet who died in the 19, well, 1900, straight up. That's when he passed away. His name was Oscar Wilde. And he said this, wisdom comes with age, which is really cool until he added the second part. Sometimes age comes alone, right? Yeah, which is, yeah, it's kind of funny unless you think about it. Because if you think about it, what it's saying is it's possible that you could, from this point in your life, move forward through your life and not be any better off based on the stuff that you've experienced and learned. You, you might not be better off from when you were younger. That's terrifying that you could have the ability to have that kind of insights and not. So I asked myself, is this just something that was going on in the 1800s when Oscar was around, or is it, is it going on today? Now, listen, mind you, you can probably think of one person right now this is true about, but I, I want to know if there was something bigger going on, and so I went out and I started looking. Is it possible that you could age and not gain wisdom? See if you can answer this question. Elderly, elderly, first-time offenders commit what crime? I want you to be thinking, what crime would somebody who hasn't committed anything, they've not been in trouble with the police at all, ever, and then they commit their first crime? And if you're thinking it's being rude to somebody at Target, no, 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 no. That happens way younger, right? Every, that happens way younger. It's, it's not a fashion thing. You don't, you don't go to jail for something like that. What do you think an elderly first-time offender is? This is happening um, pretty frequently right now in our culture. Any guesses? Shoplifting. Shoplifting. That's what I thought you would say. This is the actual answer. Violent crimes. Get out. I know. They're having trouble because the first time they're going into jail, they're staying there for a lifetime, and they're, and they're going to age in jail, and it's causing all kinds of problems. You know what's odd? They commit these with friends and family. And you think, okay, you've gone through your whole life. No trouble with the police. One day, violent perp. I mean, what's happened? How, how didn't you look around and figure some stuff out? And I was like, hmm, 
Oscar could be onto something. Is there anything else? And so I started looking around. I found this number. There's a lot of disagreement on this. But when I, when I got into the people who were disagreeing with this number, I was like, yeah, it's all the same. 48% of people over the age of 55 have zero saved for retirement. Zero. Now, the people who disagreed with that said, oh, no, no, no. People who have zero, it's about 17%. There's 14% who have $1,000, and there's more who have $10,000. And I was like, that's an emergency fund. That's not, that's not savings for retirement. 48%. Look, I know life's hard. It gets difficult. But you would hope along the path, you would learn some lessons, figure some stuff out, make adjustments, because it's right around the corner. I mean, your retirement is right around the corner from there. And if you don't have something started, something saved, it's going to be difficult. And yet, I think maybe, I think Oscar Wilde could be right. Wisdom comes with age, but sometimes age comes alone. And the question is, how? How does that happen? What goes on in our lives that would allow us to live through all of those experiences, to watch other people do things, to, to have... Um, ways to learn, and it, it doesn't, doesn't connect, it doesn't work out. I actually think Jesus kind of addresses this. He's going to bring up two things that are related. They're related a lot in the scriptures, and it's going to be in response to a question that the disciples asked Jesus, and it seemed like just a, a pretty common question. This is in Matthew 13, verse 10. The disciples came to him and asked, why do you speak to the people in parables? Why are you doing this, Jesus? He had just got done talking in a parable. He's going to explain this to them, and then he's going to go back, and he's going to tell another three or four parables. And, and they want to know, why in the world are you doing this? Now, what's fascinating to me is a lot of Christians have written about this section of Scripture, and they have an opinion as to what Jesus was trying to accomplish when he taught in parables. And one of the most popular ideas... I'm not joking, is it's, it's taught in churches, is that Jesus taught in parables to hide truth from people. He didn't want them to find it, so he taught them in a parable so it wouldn't be easily understood. And I'm like, wait, this is, that's the opposite point of a parable. If, you, if you're talking with a group of people and the thing that you're telling them is important, but you can see they're not getting it, what you decide to do is tell a story from their culture in a picture that they would understand so that as they wrestle with it, maybe that truth sinks in. And that, that would make a ton more sense. I think the people who came up with those theories should have just waited until verse 13 because this is what he says. This is why I speak to them in parables. Like he's going to give you a reason. You don't, you don't have to interpret it. He says this. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. I'm doing stuff in front of them that display the values and the character that I think are important. And they're not seeing it. I'm teaching them. I'm telling them about the stuff that God thinks is important. I'm laying it out. And they're not hearing me. It's not just that they're not hearing. They're not understanding me. 
And so I'm going to tell them a story in hopes, in hopes that maybe they can see and they can hear. Now, if, if you get down to it, what Jesus is talking about here is seeing is about knowledge. It's, a, it's about having um, some, gain some learning from somewhere along the line. And, and the other, hearing, is about wisdom. Now, you can gain knowledge in a lot of different ways. You can read, you can go to a class, you can go through a life experience, you can, do, you can watch somebody else do something and learn. You, you can learn the hard way. Many of you, that's your favorite, right? You like to make the mistake and learn from that. And honestly, it's not a terrible way to go unless it's a, a mistake that will scar your life. But sometimes you've got to make a mistake and then you learn from that and you come out on the other side of that. That's, that's where you accumulate knowledge. But do you know it's possible to go through all of those things and to get to the other side, and you don't have any more knowledge than when you started. Like, you didn't learn from the experience. You didn't learn from the failure. You didn't learn from the studying that you did. You, you just kind of put in your time. And the reason this is tragic is because wisdom counts on you having some sort of knowledge. It counts on you having learned something because wisdom, hearing, means that I take this and I discern what's going on with this stuff that I've learned so that it shapes a different way for me to live. It opens up a different path. And so, here, grab this. Wisdom changes perspective. It, it changes how you look at life, how you go through life. And it's possible. It's possible that somebody could either accumulate some knowledge and then not learn from it and change their perspective or it's possible that they don't even learn anything and so what is wisdom supposed to do with that no change of perspective happens so um jesus ends up going on and he refers to a section of scripture again reinforcing this idea of you're not hearing you're not seeing and he pulls it from isaiah chapter six and i don't have time we're, we're going to use just a little bit of that later, but I just want to tell you this. Uh, many of you who have been around for a while will recognize this word. This is a remez. This is a Jewish teaching technique where you say a section of scripture, you kind of quote it. It's not directly quoted. It's a paraphrase quote that's supposed to call you back to the section of scripture it came from, and you're supposed to go back and digest that whole section of scripture because it has something to say about what Jesus is saying here. I think there's some really fascinating stuff. We don't have time for that today, but I hope, I hope that you'll do that. But this is one of those verses from Isaiah that Jesus quotes. He says this, for this people's heart has become calloused. Does that sound like last week? Like I gave you a conscience, but you've ignored it and ignored it, and now there's a callous. There's a searing to your conscience, and I can't even communicate with you that way anymore. He said, they hardly hear with their ears, they've closed their eyes. This whole group of people, they're tone deaf to the knowledge that I'm offering. They've closed their eyes. They're barely understanding what I'm saying. And the question is, how in the world does that happen? 
How does it happen that a group of people, or maybe just you or I, can go through some of life experiences and not take anything away from that? And I started thinking, I started making a list. There's actually quite a few things that get in the way. I'm going to call it interference. Becomes interference where this thing that you could have learned from, you don't. And so you don't gain any knowledge, and because you don't have the knowledge, it doesn't turn into wisdom, it doesn't turn into a changed life for you. Why? Because there was something interfering with that process. And this morning, I just want to talk about two, just two big ones, big ones that I've experienced in my life, big ones that I see happening in other people's lives, where this interference plays out in a significant way, stopping them from gaining knowledge, stopping them from living life with a new perspective. See, God's communicating in his scriptures all the time. He's offering us knowledge. He's offering us wisdom. But the problem is there are so many things that are interfering that many of us don't latch on to it. It doesn't change our lives. It doesn't alter how we think. It doesn't change the attitudes that we approach life with. And I think there are reasons that happens. So I'm going to deal with two. Let's start with one of the biggest. I want to put a little uh, quote up here on the screen that I just want to read for you. Um, not that one. Um, let's find, yes, we care more about what people think than what God thinks. We care more about what people think than what God thinks. And when that happens, it becomes an interference now, most of you would say, because I've had, this, I've had these conversations with lots of people, most of the people in this room, if I asked you, do you care what people think, you would say, no, I do not care what people think. And that's because you can find an example in your life where you really don't. So if you ask me, do I care what people think, I would immediately go to, I, I love to wear socks with sandals during the summer. My, yeah, my family is embarrassed by that, and they constantly confront me with this, and they're like, what are you doing? I'm like, it's comfortable. I like it. It's life. Just deal with it, right? I don't, I don't care what everybody thinks about that sort of thing. And, and if you think you're going to somehow guilt me into like, caring about fashion sometime in the near future, you're going to be terribly disappointed because it's never going to be a concern that it comes to my mind. So I don't care what you think. And I don't care what others think. It's comfortable. Keeps the top of my white feet from burning crisp. I love wearing socks. Right? Get over it. So you could find an example like that. And you could go, it's obvious. I do not care what people think. What about this? What about your reputation? Do you care about what people in community think about who you are, how you deal with people, whether you're honest or not? What about if you're kind or do you approach people with a sense of cruelness at your workplace? Do you care if people think you're gracious or is it okay? Is it okay if they just think you're stingy and you don't really give a rip? See, I think it's possible for you to be telling yourself the truth when you say, I don't care what people think. 
But in some ways, the, the fact that you're in community with other people tells me you have to care some about what other people think because you can't be a group together unless you've accepted some common denominators of how you'll treat each other and act with each other. And you have that as a basis for how you connect. And so there is something in us that cares about what other people think. And you know what? That's not a problem. The problem isn't that I sometimes care about what people think. The problem is when I care about what people think more than I care about what God thinks. More than anything else. I, I was looking at this and I, I noticed that this is easy. This is easy when you identify a group of people or a topic that's not important to you. But where this starts to change is when you care about your people. These are the people that you're in, in relationship with. You're connected with them at work, your friends. Maybe you go to church with them. Um, they're your classmates, your people. It's not just any people. Do you care what your people think more than what God thinks? Because there's a problem that happens we can, get, we can get ensnared by this. And by the way, I made a little list. Because from what I've seen, there's not one size fits all on this. There are different ways that people experience caring about people more than what God thinks. And I'm just going to give you a little list of the things that I've seen in people's lives. One, they're, they're people pleasers. They're more concerned with making that person like them and happy with them and they could be a stranger they don't care everybody has to like them and so they run around in circles in their life trying to keep everybody happy with them they're people pleasers the second one they want peace at any price conflict gives them a knot in their stomach they don't want any kind of conflict and so they will say or do whatever they have to to keep peace in the family to keep peace in the friends and if it means that I have to bend or twist what I believe or think or do or say, I'll do that. I'll do that just to keep peace. Some people just don't want to look dumb. I don't want you to look at me and think that I don't get it, that I'm not smart. And so I'm going I'm to actually lean in and just kind of go along with what people are saying instead of everybody else. Some just want to seek it acceptance it's the only thing that's on their minds as they engage i want you to see what paul said about this uh, it's pretty insightful this is galatians chapter 1 verse 10 am i now trying to win the approval of human beings or of god or am i trying to please people he says if i were still trying to please people i would not be a servant of christ those are significant words. Because what happens when we're more concerned about what other people say, we're serving them, aren't we? And I'll tell you right now, we're, we're living in weird times. Because everybody, I don't care how old you are, you have faced this at some point in your life where there was some pressure to conform to the culture that you were in 
whether you were in school, college, wherever that happened, there was pressure for you to conform. Nowadays, it's a demand to conform. If you don't conform, you, you could be canceled. Like we could come after your job. We could come after you. And so there's this sense of what do I do about this kind of stuff. But again, th that's easier when you look at a big group of people and you say, I don't care what people think. I don't care what people think. But what about your people? What about your people? And what I've noticed is that sometimes in an effort to just not go against the crowd, we accept what our friends think, we accept what our family thinks, and you're like, well, might as well, a group can't be wrong, right? There was a whole group listening to Jesus who couldn't hear and couldn't see. A whole group can be wrong. It's why you need to place yourself in the scriptures, around people who have really good understanding of the text. Your friends matter. Why, does that, why is that important? Because if you're not careful, you'll take cues from all other places and you'll miss the knowledge that God would have offered, the insight and wisdom that he could have given for you to learn something from your life. Because you were more concerned about what people thought instead. See, it's possible that you could age with time more concerned about what people said and you miss God's perspective. You miss wisdom. So that's number one. There's a second one that I think happens quite a bit in our lives. Again, this is from watching my life, having conversations with other people's lives. I mentioned that one of the um, great ways to learn is through failure. But there's a lot of different types of failure. There's a, you take your driver's test, and they, they don't pass you, and you're like, why did I do wrong? And they tell you, and you fix it the next time. No big deal, right? You can deal, you can deal with that kind of failure. You take a test, and you get an F, and you're like, how did that happen? And you go back, and you figure out, oh, I didn't understand this part. I'll get that repaired. So you can, you can have all kinds of failures. You lose money in the market. You do whatever that happens. You learn from it. One of the places that you could learn from, but people seem to have a real hard time with it, is a moral failure. Like that, there's something that they did that hurt them and other people. And in the midst of that moral failure, something happens to your life that starts to hold your focus and attention. And as soon as it has your focus and attention, your ability to learn from that goes away. It's two words. Guilt and shame. There are, a lot of, there are a lot of Christians who believe that guilt and shame are God's gift to you. They are not because of what they do to you. They come to you and they condemn you. They say things like this to you. You can't be forgiven. You can't change. You're terrible. Look at what you've done. And indictment upon indictment rolls into your mind. And every time somebody in church mentions the word sin, that thing that you did floods back into your mind. And God had forgiven you for it, but you can't get over with it. And you are consumed by the guilt and shame of that. And it holds 
your attention. So the very thing that you could have learned from that, the very thing that could have changed your life or altered your course, you're never going to figure out because you're caught in that moment. You are frozen. And there's nothing that you can do about it. I want to take you actually to this section in Isaiah 6 where Jesus refers back because something gets said about guilt there that I think is worth our attention. God is looking for a messenger to deliver his words to Israel. And this is Isaiah's first response to that. I'm not worthy. Go find somebody else. I can't do this. And he has a vision where an angel comes to him, brings a hot coal and touches his lips. And this is what it says in verse 7. See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sins atoned for. And you know what he says in the next verse? Send me. I'm in. Like if you've handled that, if that's gone, then my perspective changes. And I want to tell you right now, for a lot of people, the moral failure they have made has so stuck with them that you've been unable to put yourself in a place where God's forgiveness means anything to you and hasn't moved you forward with a new perspective in life. This is not God's idea for you. And it will prevent you from gaining knowledge. It will prevent you from getting a new perspective and taking a different course with your life. Now, I, I know there's more. I know there are other things, but I'm, I'm just telling you, if you would deal with these two, you would have an opportunity to open your heart up to let God guide you and give you some wisdom. But so many people who even go to the text and read it, it doesn't land in their lives for a couple reasons. One, you're so concerned about being accepted by other people that you say stuff like, this is 2020, what I just read in here can't be right. Or you're so overwhelmed with the guilt that you have that the truth of it, you think this can't possibly apply to me. I'm terrible. God has knowledge and wisdom available for you. But if you're not careful, we'll allow interference to prevent it from ever entering into something that we would call learning. You, you just never learned it. You never learned that you were forgiven. You never learned that what those people thought or said or did was different from what God wanted. You never learned it because you were more concerned about other things and the interference doesn't get there. But sometimes it gets here and then we have to deal with a changed perspective. That's harder. I had a guy, um, I was meeting in a meeting with a group of people and I was really proud of myself and I said, hey, I'm losing weight. And he said, oh, sweet, are you exercising? I was like, oh, man. No, dude, I am starving myself to death. That's what, that's what I'm doing. And don't bring up that E word. That's, I hate that. That's awful. And he's like, it's unsustainable, man. At some point, Blair, you know this, but you haven't acted on it. And there are reasons for this, and one of them, one of them is we care more about what people think than what God thinks. And sometimes we care more about what we think because we're focused on our guilt and shame. 
than what God says about you, that you're forgiven and that you need a different perspective. So can I ask you this morning, when I was talking about either one of those things, did your conscience speak to you? Because that's, that's how it's going to work. Your conscience is going to come to you and just whisper, hey, I think this could be going on in your life. I think you might be caring more about others in this area of your life. Hey, I offered you forgiveness, and you're still stuck there. When, when will you step into that forgiveness and let me change the way you live your life? Did you hear any of that kind of whispering? If so, it's time for you to lean in. It's time for you to lean into that voice and take some steps because you don't, you don't want to just simply age and miss out on the wisdom that God has for you. Can I pray with you real quick? God, I'm grateful that really you don't want to hide stuff from us. You, you want us to find knowledge. You want us to hear your perspective. You want us to discern and come up with some things that are wise that change the way we live. Yet, God, we tolerate some interferences in our life. We actually believe that it would be better for us to blend in in our culture, to blend in with our friends, than to stand with you. And God, if there are people who are doing that right now, I ask that your spirit would speak to them. That it would become clear that they need to address this area in their life. God, I'm convinced there are others that you have offered forgiveness to. The issue isn't even on your heart and mind anymore, but it's holding their focus. And God, I ask that your spirit would gently say to them, you're forgiven. I don't want you to live there. I want you to move on. God, there is wisdom and knowledge to be found following you, pleasing you. Give us the courage to turn the interference down so that we can hear your voice. We want to be led by you. Connect us with knowledge. Turn that knowledge into wisdom. We ask for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, can we stand and worship together?